Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. I wanted to talk with you a little bit about how the practice is really a mirror for life and how you can look to see how the habits and the patterns that you bring into your yoga practice are a mirror image for the habits and the patterns that you bring into your life. And this is one of the ways that yoga is almost like visiting the psychologist by yourself because you get to really see what your patterns are and whether those patterns are positive and whether or lead to positive and fruitful results or whether those patterns are potentially harmful and leading to harmful results. So when we do the practice, there are constant temptations to cut corners. There are constant temptations to give in to voices of self-doubt. There are constant ways that all of the same patterns that we experience in our life, they come up in the practice. So for example, one of the things that um, comes up for me when I practice is that I often feel as though I'm not good enough, as though I'm not like, like, it's just, it's never going to happen. So why bother trying? I remember when I was applying for, for schools when, and, you know, going into graduate school, there were a whole list of schools I didn't even bother applying to. It just felt like, eh, I won't even bother getting in. Um, but it, how would I have known if I was going to be rejected without ever trying? And I feel like this is something that I face also in my life. Well, that was in my life. I mean, I face it also in my yoga practice. So my yoga practice, the way that that showed up is that Almost all of the advanced asanas that I do are not something that I do because I believed that I could do them. There are things that I do because my teachers said, you know, you have to try. If it was up to me, I never would have tried. And every time I get the opportunity, that voice of doubt that says that I'm not good enough is so tempting for me to believe. So if I spend time away from my teacher, those voices kind of take over. Oh, that handstand's just too hard. You should, you'll never be able to do that. You had a shoulder injury. Let's just let that go. And let's just try again next lifetime. Oh, now you're too old. Let's leave that for the, the, the young gymnasts. They can do that, but not you. So that's my voice inside my head. But in the presence of my teacher who says, I'll help you. You can do it. Let's try. Then there's a bridge that allows me to face that a pattern that's within myself and allows me to kind of grow. 
And then in my life, I can say, well, you know what? I'm a little bit intimidated by that, but let me try anyway. And most importantly, one of the things that I've learned is that just like in your yoga practice, also in life, you can ask for help in those moments when you are a little bit afraid and a little bit overwhelmed. So in that handstand that I feel like I'll never be able to do, instead of just giving up and not trying, um, when my teacher helps me, I feel that there is some possibility of being able to achieve that. And then in my life, when I feel overwhelmed and like I don't have an answer, asking for help is a really empowering way to admit humility, to let other people in, to be vulnerable, and to also really realize you don't need to do things all on your own, that it is a community or a team effort. And in that way, yoga practice can be a really strong mirror for life. I'll share another example with you. Um, there's a student of mine who uh, suffers from repetitive injuries, and there are numerous injuries that are arising for her. And this particular student has gone to the point where she's injured various joints and even had surgery on some of the joints to try to get over these injuries. However, when it comes to the practice, she is very unwilling to change the pattern that led to the injury. And in this way, the mirror in her life also, there are some obstacles that arise and it's like she's keep repeating the same pattern over and over again, getting the same injurious and harmful result, both in the practice and also in the life as though in the practice, one by one, each of her joints has gotten harmed when she's not willing to change the method. And then also um, in her life, she's faced many obstacles. It seems like one by one, different relationships, different business situations have all been harmed by various actions. And unless you're willing to change, unless you're willing to say, hey, wait a minute, what is going on here? How can I change? So in this way, the practice is this opportunity. And I will share the story is a, it's not just like a hopeless story, that this particular student has recently made some big improvements in the practice that have been dramatic in terms of changing technique. And it's been really humbling and been really transformational for her to be able to take small steps forward. And even though it felt like small steps backwards and, and really change technique. And that's also paid off. There's some different things that are happening in her life. She's in a much better place. And, um, you know, and, and in this way, when hopefully without injury and pain, but sometimes this is how we learn, when the practice shows us a pattern that's destructive within ourselves, either with the help of a teacher, sometimes just with ourselves, we can shine light on those places of darkness within ourselves. And then we can, you know, open our eyes to that pattern and rise up from it. Now, all of this is predicated on a couple of key things within the yoga practice. Number one, you have to be willing to show up and do the work day in and day out. Nobody can do the practice for you. Uh, no matter how much physical privilege, and there are physical privileges that people come into in this life. Some people born with natural flexibility, some people born with natural strength, some people born with natural flexibility and natural strength come to the practice. Just because they have these advantages doesn't mean that they're super yogis. It means they have some physical advantage. What we have to remember is that the practice is predicated on the idea that no matter what advantages you come into the practice with, you will continue to work and use the asana as a mirror to shine your light within so that you can illuminate uh, those places of darkness, those places of the patterns that lead to harmful results and be committed to understanding how you can change, not how someone else can change for you, but how you yourself can open your eyes, rise up, 
and change. And without the notion that we're committed to hard work in the practice, then we can think that, you know, it's easy. And yoga is not easy. Yoga is difficult, difficult to face those patterns. We could think um, in a delusional manner that seems to assume that it should be easy, but it shouldn't be easy because we're learning the skills that will make us face life situations, particularly difficult life situations, with more grace, more harmony, and more ease. Finally, one of the things that we learn in our yoga practice is how to give of ourselves to the practice, how to give everything that we have excuse me, how to give everything that we are to the practice. And so how to show up and put our entire hearts and our entire souls and hold nothing back. See, so often in life, we hold a little piece of ourselves back. We don't share our vulnerability. We try to show up and to be perfect. But the practice shows us that who we are, when we give our heart and our soul completely, that that effort of giving everything, that is what makes us worthy. Not the performance and actually not the, the sort of aesthetic result, but the fact that we were able to lay our vulnerability completely open and to share in a very um, almost devotional manner all of our weaknesses and all of our faults and all of our strengths and all of our highs just in the experience of doing the practice. Now, this is why practice is a very personal space and why you could say practice is a very uh, sacred space and why you could say that practice requires an element of sacrifice. The idea of sacrifice means, you know, to make sacred. And when we make the practice sacred, we do that by devoting ourselves to it, by giving of ourselves to it, coming into the practice with the attitude of not, what can I take for myself, but what can I give into the practice. We give of ourselves when we come to the practice. And by laying everything that we have down, then, you know, we end up receiving. If you come into the practice, like, I'm going to take my jump back. I'm going to take my back bend. I'm going to take this pose. I'm going to take that pose. Then we miss that element of that we're actually here to give of ourselves to the practice. Then there's a lesson, a corresponding lesson that comes off the mat. We can take that off the mat also. So many times we show up in our lives and we're entirely focused on what we can take. What can I take from this situation? We place ourselves and our egoic needs at the center of every, uh, you know, uh, 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 of every interaction that we have. Oh, this is good for me. Oh, well, this is good for me. Oh, well, this feels good. And this doesn't feel good. And it all begins to be centered on that notion of the I. And if we take the lesson of our practice, we come into our practice. Oh, I am not good at this. Oh, I don't do leg behind the head. Oh, I don't jump back. Oh, I this. I'm going to take that back bend. I'm going to set myself on a program. We drop that and we come in and we say, I'm just going to give everything I have to every breath. Then we take that attitude and we show up in life and it changes the way we show up. Instead of saying, what can I take from this situation? What is this person going to do for me? What, what is, what is the situation? How is the situation going to benefit me? We change that attitude. And then we say, how am I going to show up and be of service in this moment? What am I, what, what am I going to bring to the table? in this situation? How am I going to show up and, and be a positive benefit and enrich this person's life, whoever that person is? How can I give of myself in this situation? Obviously, we need some limits, you know? We need also to be sure that, you know, we don't end up completely evaporated. And this is also true with the practice. We go through periods where 
where we practice really, really intensively, and we go through periods where we practice a little bit lightly. Um, I've just spent two amazing weeks with my teacher, Shadaji, who is here in Miami, and I gave a lot of myself in the practice and also to, um, you know, making sure that his experience here went as seamlessly and as effortly as possible. And after now, he's back in India, and I really hope he had a wonderful time. And he says he did, so that's really wonderful. That's enough. Um, it's really all I need from that. And now I feel there's a period where uh, that my practice and maybe also my life interactions are kind of moving into a little bit of a balance and that's okay too. So we don't want to think, oh gosh, if I'm not showing up and giving a hundred percent of myself, then that's nothing. A way that you give of yourself also is to honor what's coming up for you each day. So if you have a, a day where today I'm giving a hundred percent of myself, which means that I'm just going to lie here on my mat and breathe. That's okay too. As long as you're showing up and whatever you have inside yourself, you're laying it out there honestly and um, nakedly and without any pretense, then this is a devotional and sacred practice. If we take that attitude into our lives also, then this doesn't necessarily mean we need to go out and like save the world. It's just like, okay, here I am. I'm, you know, um, uh, I'm checking out at the supermarket. So how is it that I can show up in the best way while I'm getting my groceries and at the same time, uh, have space to make sure that I'm not cutting off the person, you know, behind me and I'm being nice to, uh, you know, the, the checkout clerk that's there and I'm in a, I'm in a way so that my presence is in some way a net positive for myself and also for those around me. And again, it doesn't have to be anything that's performative. No one can know that you're doing it, but at the same time, you're giving of yourself in a way that really takes the yoga off of the mat and internalize it in a way that can truly occupy one of the key principles that, that um, Patavi Joyce used to talk about as creating a firm ground in your yoga practice, which is what's called Nairantardya. That means without break. So if you learn that principle of giving of yourself in such a way so that you shine the light of knowledge in a way that allows you to remove the destructive patterns and highlight the patterns of positive, um, you know, of positivity in your life, then the practice is working. The practice is working. And this is something that I think we can all do. Maybe we can't all put our legs behind our head, but uh, we can all use the effort of the practice to make ourselves better human beings. Maybe we're all not going to do a perfect straight line handstand press, but we can use the effort of strength building to teach us how to be stronger in challenging situations. We might not all be able to do a perfectly effortless, you know, backbend that, you know, is on, on, a, on a, you know, circus type of level, but we can all use the practice to open up our hearts and be brave enough to share more vulnerability in difficult moments in our life. If we can do that, then that element of night on without break, we become yogis, not just uh, yoga students on the path, which means that we're committed to practicing yoga as a spiritual life and we live the yogi life. Uh, and, and, and what happens when, you know, more people practice yoga in that way is that there's a change in the atmosphere. Uh, not so much, you know, uh, if we practice yoga just to perform this and perform that, if we, you know, take the same patterns of egocentricity and I and mine and possession and we bring that into how we're moving the body, you can use the tool of yoga to entrench yourself further in cycles of delusion. Um, or you can use the tool of yoga as a tool of liberation. A tool is just a tool. You know, our body is a vehicle for experience. We can use a vehicle for anything. You get in a car, you can smash your car if you, you know, if you don't drive it properly. And, you know, uh, if you use your body, 
in a way that doesn't lead to liberation, then harm can come as well. Same thing with the yoga practice, you know? If we don't understand the tool that we're given, we can use it improperly. You know, you're given a hammer. You can destroy something with a hammer or you can build something with a hammer as well. So in that way, we want to be very consciously of the attitude that we take into our practice. From the same sutra that Patabi Joyce was talking about, we want to have the right intention when we come into the practice without the right intention. Not that we need to set an intention each time we start the practice. One day Guru Nam is enough intention to set, but to constantly just think about, you know, am I here to serve or am I here to take? Even that dichotomy is enough to kind of check ourselves to see whether we're on the path or not. What do we, you know, what do we want when we come here? And is that wanting, you know, going beyond the bounds of uh, restrictive self-interest defined by the delusion of I and mine, or is that wanting sort of inclusive and kind of more permeable, have softer boundaries and uh, a a allow the sort of the seeds of compassion to soak in? Um, and then, you know, um, we also need to understand that it's not an instant shift, that even though we give of our heart and soul to the practice, it could take 10, 20 years for us to reap the benefit. So the story that I told you both about myself, uh, starting to learn to believe in myself through the practice and my student who needed to change those destructive patterns, uh, the injurious patterns that she was working in her body, though neither of those was a fast shift. This was like a 10, maybe 15 year journey before the U-turn started to happen, before, you know, that path that was leading to this result um, sort of uh, became evidence that was no longer useful. And then the strength to turn around and change course became actualized in uh, both the practice and also in life. So you have to remember, it takes a long time. And the sutra that I'm referring to is, um, Patabi Joyce used to talk about this often, Satu Dirga Kala, now we take a long time, Dirga Kala, without break, with the right intention, with sincerity for the spiritual tradition of the practice, we reach the firm ground of the practice. And it's traditionally said that when you reach that firm ground, at that point, we are now yogis on the path of liberation. We're no longer lost. We know the path, we'll walk the path, and we will continue to make progress, spiritual progress. And the effort that we put in along the way, even though we might not see it instantaneously, it will continue to grow and snowball. There's enough positive momentum that we've put in by that point that the inertia of the practice kind of uh, is almost self-generating. Once we reach that point of the firm ground, that means that we are on the path. And even if we feel that we're failing on the path, that inertia of what we've put in so far will carry us forward. So we can take faith and take heart in the fact that we'll continue to keep practicing in this lifetime or, you know, maybe the next. <laughs> Good. Well, I think that pretty much is almost the time that we have together today. Um, were there any questions that came through while I was talking? Yeah, so practical question. Sure. Let's take that one practical question. So backbending is really, really a sort of deep and challenging asana. Um, and we did the uh, second series backbends today, which are kind of like plugging your body into the electrical socket. So those of you who did the practice today, especially if you're not used to um, doing the practice of the intermediate series, you might notice increased emotionality. You might notice shaking, trembling in the limbs. You might even notice yourself um, having weird dreams. Uh, feeling really good, but like supercharged and like having excess energy. Over time, that energy normalizes. Some other things that are very common that happen when you do deeper backbends, you can feel dizzy. You can feel like you're going to faint. Um, you can have disturbed breathing. 
uh, and you can feel like a headachey sensation, almost like a pulsating sensation at the top of the head or inside of the head. And these are all very normal accompaniments to the integrated work of backbending, and they can come and go. So sometimes I'll be there, they'll go away, sometimes they'll go away, and sometimes they'll come back, and sometimes they'll go away. Different things come back, and so it's not, and it's not always related to how deeply you go in the asana. Sometimes people can feel the shaking and the trembling just in Surya Namaskar A, and because they're raising, so even Akam is a small spinal extension and upward facing dog, they can feel that. Other students will have to do almost like death-defying backbends to be able to feel the same shaking, trembling, headachey sensations. Now, there's not, and there's not like a linear grade of backbends. So, what, whatever backbend that brings up the sort of deep inner process work of the practice. That's it. That's really all you need. You know, you don't really need to try to do death-defying, back-breaking poses. Uh, you know, to try to get that. At the same time, you don't want to run after. You know, shaking and trembling. It'll come on its own. And and, and sometimes uh, the asana that you've done for ten years suddenly shifts, and then that very asana that you once felt comfortable in turns into a shaking, trembling asana. So again, it's not always related to the the physical depth of the asana. Energies are always working in the body, so you have to be attuned to those subtle energies,、uh, and then let them flow through us as they get triggered and stimulated, and be present with them, and maintain that calm, balanced mind that makes sure that you continue the practice. If anything comes up. That is deeply disturbing. You don't know how to sit with. During those times, it's very important that you practice with a teacher, with a whether it's online, live, someone that can look at you, or it's in person. It's very important during those times when you're overwhelmed with energetic shifts that are happening inside of you. They make time to go be physically present with the teacher for at least one week, but possibly one month. And if you can't be physically present with the teacher, then go to a place online where you can have an immediate energy exchange. Like whether you you know do an online class where like a live online class where you can feel the energy because we need that human to human contact of the community in those moments when the energies are shifting powerfully. Because we need to be around people who have gone through that shift in order for our bodies, our spirits, and our souls to kind of learn through the collective vibration how to sort of. Transition, and it may sound a little esoteric, but it's just the idea that the community can lift you up during that time, and the teacher、um, can carry the weight that can ground the experience during、uh, those times of kind of spiritual upheaval in your life. This is one of the reasons why the guru is considered to be、uh, a heavy. Presence, energetically dense and also heavy, because it's meant to ground your、um, energy as you're stimulating that internal energy flow. So keep doing your backbends and don't be alarmed if all of that comes up. And also don't be alarmed if none of that comes up. When it's meant to come up, it'll come up.、Um, and remember, if you're feeling overwhelmed, that's the time to go and be with your teacher. Good. Thank you very much, everyone. I really, really appreciate it. I'm gonna see you starting、um, the last Wednesday in May and the first two Wednesdays in June for the Secrets of Flexibility live classes. We're gonna do 30 minutes of flexibility-focused drills, and、um, maybe you'll get the headachey sensation there. Maybe we'll do some backbends. You never know.、Um, there'll be a lot of fun things to try during that time. So stay tuned for that. And we've got all your comments and requests for、um, different like live Ashtanga short forms and stuff like that. So stay tuned, and we'll. We'll、get that in the mix as soon as we can. Thank you so much for being a part of the Om Stars family. You're the way that this dream of community comes through. So I send you a lot of love, and I look forward to seeing you next time online, in person, somewhere around the world. 
Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS. And that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.